1: Welcome to vulgar history a feminist women's history comedy podcast my name is ann foster and this is season four and it's been a minute but here we are all together again to talk about some scandalous women from history and so i just want to just bring up one thing because i got i got a comment i don't get many comments you're all very um keep your thoughts to yourselves and i respect that but i did get one anonymous comment from someone who said that i talk too quickly and to that person i would just like to share that you know in most podcast apps there's a way where you can slow down how someone is talking so that's a great option for you and otherwise if you think i talk too quickly then don't listen to my podcast because this is how my voice works um so welcome welcome everybody I like to have a a theme, a theme per season. And this season's theme is women trapped in towers and the assholes who put them there. That's how I'm going to say it. Women trapped in towers and the assholes who put them there. So by towers, I'm talking about prisons, jails. We've talked in other episodes about how oldie time rich women didn't go into like prison so much as it was just like being an unwelcome house guest for like 32 years or whatever, Mary Queen of Scots, my queen. So, we're going as per usual. In one of these seasons, we're going to go kind of um chronological, which I find helpful to me just to try and keep track of who is who, especially cuz there's a lot of people this season named Edward and So this way we can be like, remember the guy from two episodes ago? His grandson, you know, so we can just like see everything all in order. And let's just get into it. Um, Today we are talking about Margaret Margaret of Anjou. My sources are Wikipedia, which I just need to say is where I start with everything. Because that's where I'm just like... What's the birth date? What's the death date? What are the, like, subject headings? Like, is there a Wikipedia? Like, which is not to say if someone doesn't have a Wikipedia page, I'm not going to research them. But it's just, like, if they do, I'm just like, oh, thank God. Because that points you towards other sources. You can get sort of a broad picture of them. I know some people, do they still? Would hate on Wikipedia because it's, like, anyone can write anything. Like, don't use it for your, like, class projects or whatever. But anyway, I'm not ashamed to say I use Wikipedia. And I also... Um, give them a monthly donation because they're very helpful. They could use a lot more women um, being written about in Wikipedia. And that's an issue for another day. So I also looked at an article from History Extra. And if you don't know, BBC History Extra is a magazine and it's also a podcast. And I, they write really, uh, they get great historians to write about Like The articles that I often read in their magazine are concise and is often sort of from someone who wrote a book about this, but this is them kind of giving the major points of it. So this is an article by, hmm, does it not say who it's by? I want to give somebody a shout out. Sarah Gristwood, yeah. So she's the author of the book Blood Sisters, The Women Behind the War of the Roses, and this article is called The Power Behind the Throne, Women in the Wars of the Roses, and I also used her book. So uh, there's a podcast called "In Our Time: colon, History," and they did an episode about Margaret of Anjou. I also looked at an essay from RebeccaStarBrown.com. She's another historian whose stuff is very readable, fun to read. There's a book called "The Shadow King" by Lauren Johnson, which is great. It's about Henry the Sixth, who is the husband of Margaret of Anjou, and actually is an interview with her that I heard that made me interested in reading more about Margaret of Anjou. Um, And then also the book She-Wolves by Sarah Castor. So Margaret of Anjou was born on March 23rd, 1430. Now, I need to let you know that this episode, there's a lot of French names, people names, place names. There's going to be at least one other episode like that this season, and I uncontrollably like to say those with a French accent. So again, if that bothers you, then there are other podcasts for you to listen to. But that's gonna happen here and we just all need to be okay with that. Margaret was born on March twenty third, fourteen thirty at Pont à Mousson in Lorraine. So this is before France was one place. It was like all these little kingdoms that we now consider France that are basically kind of where France is now, but they're all their own little things. So Lorraine was one of these places. It was, in fact, a fief of the Holy Roman Empire east of France, ruled by a cadet branch of French kings, the house of Valois-Anjou, and she's Margaret of Anjou, remember. Margaret was the second daughter of good king Rene, which is a name, I, I haven't done tons of French history reading, but Rene is a name that feels not like someone who would live in 1430. So that makes me like him even better. Here's my cat making an appearance for season, first appearance of season. So her father was called Renee, AKA good King Renee. Literally he was called that who was the Duke of Anjou and King of Naples, Sicily, and Jerusalem. And if you're like, wait, that's a weird assortment of things to be King of like Naples, Sicily, and Jerusalem are not necessarily super close to each other. And also if you're like, that's a familiar congregation of places, It is because guess what? Good King Renee is a great grandson of Joanna of Naples from season, whatever I did that before. And her mother was Isabella, the Duchess of Lorraine. And through them, Margaret of Anjou could trace her lineage back to powerful women like Empress Matilda, who we talked about on the podcast before and Eleanor of Aquitaine, a woman who I will talk about on the podcast. I'm sure, but honestly, her story is very confusing to me and I need a lot of time to figure it out. So, Her mother Isabella of Lorraine fought wars on behalf of her husband Good King Rene so Good King Rene was imprisoned and while he was imprisoned Isabella ruled the Duchy of Lorraine by her own right and then also Margaret of Anjou's grandmother Good King Rene's mom was Yolanda of Aragon who ruled the Duchy of Anjou as regent for her son while Margaret was a child, repelling English military presence and supported the disinherited Dauphin. Again, I don't know a lot about French history, and we're really talking about Margaret who becomes a person in, spoiler, English history. But basically what we're looking at here is her mother and her grandmother both ruled Lorraine, or Lorraine and or Anjou on their own right, so she would have seen them growing up, role models for her, as we will see. Uh, She did not hesitate to take power when when she saw it was an option. Margaret of Anjou had five brothers and four sisters, as well as three half-siblings from Good King Renee's relationships with mistresses. When Good King, Ogan, oh um, let's see. Oh, sorry, this is just going back over that. So when Good King Renee was taken captive by enemies, Isabella fought for his return while she was ruling. And at that point, Margaret was raised by her grandmother Yolanda, who had previously ruled as well so she like was direct contact with these cool women when margaret was 12 good king rené was returned and so she would have seen in this like early childhood era both how decisive and powerful women can be in positions of power but also how precarious that power can be for men like her father who was quote title rich but power poor so good king rené was the king of these places and also Uh, the Duke of Anjou, but he didn't have a lot of political power. He just kind of had titles. So her mother, Isabella took care of Margaret's education and may have arranged for her to have lessons with the scholar Antoine de La Salle, who taught her brothers. So Margaret was getting like a good education for a girl. I'm going to guess not every girl was getting education to this level, but Isabella was into that. In childhood, Margaret was known as la petite creature, the little creature, which I guess is like a positive thing to say in French. As a child, she was interested in hunting as well. Uh, Margaret was described as beautiful and furthermore, quote, already a woman, passionate and proud and strong-willed. So like quite a force of personality as a young person. So when she was 14, in 1444, she was betrothed to Henry VI of England, who was at the time 21. And I think as we've seen in numerous episodes of this podcast, that's one of the better age gaps you can find. The whole marriage was part of a broader attempt at peace between England and France. So, Henry VI. um, If you've watched, which I've talked about on the podcast before, I'm just remembering... There is a multi part British miniseries called The Hollow Crown that does all of the Shakespeare plays with kings in the titles. One of those plays is Henry the And he is played by Tom Sturridge. And it really made me feel for Henry the Sixth and get what he's all about. I think I'm gonna yeah, I'm gonna explain what Henry was like. But basically, his grandfather was Henry the Fourth, who was like a great king, and his father was Henry the Fifth, who was like the great king or whatever and he became king as a baby and was not he was a pacifist and not uh super decisive as a person so this marriage was part of a broader attempt at peace between england and france two countries at war so often so henry himself couldn't be married to one of the french princesses because technically he considered himself the king of france and that would be awkward because if he married a princess, that would be like him saying that there is a French king who is not me. So he, anyway, it just got awkward. So he can do that. So his team was starting to find a young woman who wasn't a princess, but who was French and also was royal and around the right age to start having children, which meant Margaret of Anjou. So some of her other family relationships, she was like very, It's that complex family tree of like everyone's related to everyone some of her other family relationships included her aunt marie was the wife of the french king is how i wrote that but i guess not the queen because technically henry was the anyway her aunt was married to the french king her cool grandmother yolanda had supported the french king during some of these like dark times of war with england And although good King René wasn't wealthy or powerful, he was well-liked. So for all these reasons, she, aged 14, was officially married to Henry by proxy. So the sort of marriage where like a woman would have, or probably a man, in England like stood in for her there, and they had a ceremony, and then she would have married a man standing for Henry in France, and they like hadn't met each other. So they were married by proxy, and then she stayed home with her mother. Isabella so she's technically queen of England slash France but uh was just just living with her mom for several more months while more paperwork was settled for her to actually uh move over she was finally sent over to England but was too seasick to take part in the celebrations for her arrival seasick and I put in brackets or whatever sick like she just was not doing well understandable um, the predicted turnout for her arrival in procession was so large that an inspection of roofs and balconies was ordered due to the expectation that spectators would climb onto the roofs and balconies to try and watch her progress. But she was sick, so there wasn't anything to see. So their in-person marriage was held April 23rd, 1445, and at which point she was crowned Queen of England. Oh, sorry. They were married on April 23rd, and then she was crowned Queen of England on May 30th by the Archbishop of Canterbury, literally a teen queen. So, note. Henry, who was more interested in religion and learning than in military matters, was not a successful king. I do not mean to say he's not a successful person or human being, but like, to be king of England in 1445, this was not the disposition, personality, or interests that would have been most successful. He had reigned since he was only a few months old, like his father died very young, when he was very young, and his actions, his whole life had been controlled by protectors, um, men who were effectively his regent, even though he was now an adult. He was a pacifist, leading a country during a precarious wartime period, micromanaged by ambitious men who didn't want him to have any more power, and it was just not a good scene for him, or for Margaret, to enter into. So shortly after the coronation, her dad, good King René, entered negotiations with, I guess, the protectors, attempting to barter a lifetime's alliance and a 20-year truce between England and France. In exchange... Oh, my God, this is complicated. Um, What he wanted was for Henry to abandon his claim to Anjou. Uh, That didn't happen. And actually... There was the loss of Maine, which was a place in France. Basically, just some paperwork stuff happened. Margaret, at this point, uh, she corresponded with the French king regarding the agreement, attempting to act as a mediator, which was not successful, but she was 14 years old and there was a lot of people doing a lot of stuff. She probably didn't have that much sway. So because of this whole thing, the loss of Maine. Okay, so Maine had been controlled by the English, but then it went back to the French question mark anyway the loss of maine was regarded by the english public as a betrayal and it was very unpopular and they were which made them even more likely to mistrust margaret due to her french origins because if you've been at war and then like someone comes from the other country to be like i'm 14 and i'm the queen like i don't know that's why they were suspicious the reputation of margaret's marriage suffered as a result Although she herself was not openly blamed for the loss of Maine, which again was a place in France. Did you know that? I did not. But as long as she did her job and burst an air soon, it would be cool and probably people would get over it. But guess what? That did not happen. In the early years of their marriage, Margaret and Henry spent significant proportions of their time together by choice. What? They enjoyed each other's company? How unusual. They shared an interest in education and culture. And in 1448, so age 18, she was granted license to found Queen's College in Cambridge. Um, there's little evidence in those early years that she was doing any public political efforts other than that, initially trying to be the mediator for that thing. Um, let's see. So most of her surviving letters from this early-ish period they pertain to stuff that would have been expected for a queen to do mediation um, intervention in matters in which she had been asked to act such as the arranging of marriages Um, these were expected and important parts of the role of a noblewoman or queen Um, but so of these things she did that was apparently cool for her to do some of them were successful others were regarded as bad bad ideas for instance, in on one occasion, she recommended a man named Alexander Manning to the role of jailer at Newgate. Um, so she like gave him a reference. Uh, shortly after he got the job of jailer, he turned the prisoners loose in an act of protest at his rumored negli- rumored dismissal for negligence, and then he was jailed himself. Wait, so he she recommended him for the job. Um, he was not good at it. He heard that maybe he's going to be fired, so then he just like let the prisoners out. So oops but the thing is years were passing and rumors swirled about why these two young people were not having babies yet like the whole point of her being there was to have heirs to that was the point so here's the thing henry was known to be extremely pious like to the point even after marriage he potentially didn't want to have sex because that is how pious he was he's kind of a monk type person um, Or, potentially, like in Bridgerton, maybe they didn't know how sex works and how to conceive a child. And if neither of them knew, then, like, what are you going to do? There are also rumors that Henry's evil advisors were always around, ensuring the pair didn't have a baby because they didn't want there to be an heir for some reason. Um, So, they were not having children. This became increasingly problematic as the years went by It was potentially because Henry did not want to have sex with her. and It was potentially because they did not know how to have sex, but also the main advisor getting in Margaret's way was Richard, the Duke of York. So these two did not get along. Margaret persuaded Henry to recall Richard, like to remove him from his post as governor in France and banish him to Ireland. Um, apparently and this is where i'm just like i like you margaret uh, sh- apparently she repeatedly attempted to have him assassinated during his travels to and from ireland once in 1449 and again in 1450 good for her um because if she didn't like him i bet he sucked so but then in 1450 richard the duke of york returned from ireland and was readmitted as a trusted advisor I'm not sure why, but just because everyone's allegiances were just coming and going and changing and someone liked him. And so they let him do that. So we're now into Margaret versus Richard round, I guess, three at this point. Like she tried to assassinate him twice, which makes me feel like maybe he tried to assassinate her first drama. Um, But this time Richard came out on top because for some reason, well, I mean, he came out on top of this battle because and we know this because henry suggested richard should be named his heir which is wild because richard was older than him margaret was like what are you doing and within a few months then she <laughs> gained control over him so he was just this person who was just kind of passive and people just but he was the king so you had to convince him to side with you um and then i think richard went back to ireland again there's just a lot of coming and going for like two years after that there were a bunch of military failures that resulted in England losing most of its French lands and some loyalists to Richard were like hey Richard want to come back and take over we kind of need you to lead the armed forces and Richard was like I got you so he was very popular with like the common folk so he raised an army at Shrewsbury while Henry and Margaret assembled forces in london and these were forces to be clear against each other like richard was trying to take over being king there was a standoff south of london richard presented a list of grievances and demands that included the arrest of a person named edmund beaufort the duke of somerset we're just going to call him somerset because there's going to be other edmunds i think so who was this person edmund beaufort duke of somerset So he had, when Richard was away, Somerset had kind of slipped into that power void and had been Henry's main advisor in tandem with Margaret. There were rumors that they had an affair. Um, Shakespeare certainly thought so. Not that he was born for another 200 years. Did they have an affair? Who cares? Um, But Richard said they did, and people were, like, really not liking Margaret, and they were ready to think she was, like, this sexy French woman having affairs. So then... The king agreed to arrest Somerset, but Margaret was like, please don't do that. Um, and, like, it's just back and forth. Like, Henry's just, like, so easily, his loyalty just keeps changing who he's loyal to. So, 1453. Um, Margaret, age 23. Somerset's influence had been restored. Richard was again on the outs. And plus, finally, Margaret was pregnant. Finally, So either someone had taught them how to have, well, this is part of the thing where people are like, "Oh, maybe she had an affair. Like if they were married for almost 10 years and had no children and then suddenly she did people like, Oh, maybe she must've had sex with someone else. And maybe she did. Or maybe just finally someone explained to them how babies are made. Or maybe if you know the story of, um, Catherine de Medici, there was a thing where she didn't have children for a long time, but it turned out that was because her husband's penis was weirdly shaped. And so you had to like have sex with him and this like, unconventional unusual position which the king's mistress taught her how to do and that's a story for another day but anyway this is i'm sure a great relief to lots of people margaret was finally pregnant but unfortunately um due to a combination of mi- continued military losses which is what happens when your king is a pacifist during war um her husband one well, just other emotional situations Henry went into a deep depressive state before the baby was born. So what was his deal? I mean, we don't know. Some people have suggested schizophrenia or other mental issues, but it sounds to me just like really severe depression of someone who had this kind of shitty life where people are always telling him what to do. He had to be a war king when he wanted to just be like a little monk guy. He was described as having no energy, and he existed in, effectively, uh, like a catatonic stupor, like sort of a waking coma, not reacting to anyone. So he was like that when his heir, Margaret's son, Edward, was born in 1453. And then there was a whole thing about... um, a king needs to be like this is my son hi this is my son like publicly but like he couldn't do that so there's a whole thing about like is it his son and also when the king is in basically a catatonic stupor uh there was a big thing about like well who's gonna be in charge of literally the country because we're still at war margaret argued that she should take over the way her mother and grandmother had when the king had been indisposed but of course richard was still there and he'd been sort of one of the managers when Henry was a baby king. So he was like, I know this job, like, just let me do it. And simultaneously, while Henry was still in his depressive coma-like state, Richard, Duke of York, gained a very important ally, also named Richard, which was Richard Neville, the Earl of Warwick, who we're going to just call Warwick, is it? Is it Warwick? Anyway, we're gonna call him Warwick now because there's a multiple multitude of Richards. Warwick was super influential, very powerful, and also very rich. With Warwick's help, Richard was named as regent was named Regent as Protector of the Realm in 1454. Margaret was excluded completely from having any power at all, and Edmund Beaufort Somerset was detained in the Tower of London um well many of richard's supporters spread rumors that edward was not really the king's son but the son of somerset after a year henry emerged from his depressive state he publicly acknowledged Rich- edward as his son which was important and he removed richard as being in charge cuz like he's the king and he's back and he tried to um undo everything richard had done to make it like there was never a lost year at all but lots had changed during the time he was unavailable and he wasn't able to just take everything back to how it was before. Um, he was also mad when he heard that Margaret wanted to take over and Richard wouldn't let her cause he liked his wife, Margaret. Now, because of their very convoluted family tree, like the War wars of the roses, AKA the cousins Wars, just like when I was watching the hollow crown, the British series about it, I made myself a murder board. Like I bought a uh, a bulletin board thing. Little cards. And I made cards and I attached them to the string to just be like, who's the father of who? Who was killed by who? Like, I can't keep track of this whole story. Um, But basically, the family tree is everyone is really closely related to everyone. So Richard, Duke of York, was, you know, how he tried to take over being king. He, like, he kind of had a reason to think that. He was a credible claimant to the English throne because of who his ancestors were, which were the same ancestors as Henry. Um, and by the end of his kind of one-year period as fake king, there were many powerful nobles and relatives prepared to back him as king because he'd been basically not so secretly planning to take over as king ever since his days as baby Henry's regent. Henry was a gentle person, but had also been groomed by Richard and others to be very trusting and pliable and not to stand up for himself. But Margaret had not been raised like that. She saw what was going on and she was like, hell no. But from now on, Henry was more, like, post-coma, Henry was more fragile and prone to mental health-based crises, which meant just this power vacuum that Richard and Margaret were eternally trying to fill. So, May 1455, just over five months after Henry VI recovered from another bout of mental illness, like, aka, depressive fugue state, um... Margaret called for a great council of all the kind of, like, advisors, and she specifically did not invite Richard or Team York. Richard was very mad about that, and soon soon he and his troops were marching to face off against Margaret's troops, or slash Henry's troops, a.k.a. the Lancastrian troops. This was the Battle of Northampton in 1460, at which point, Henry was taken prisoner by Richard, just like it happened to good King Renee. So now Margaret's just like her mom, kingslash husband in jail, and she needs to take over. And then, as my notes say, battles, battles, battles. With Margaret stepping in as the leader of Team Lancastrians. Um, as a woman, though, she was thought to only be able to act through deputies. Um, although, fun fact... 30 years earlier, her grandmother Yolanda, a powerful protector to Joan of Arc, they had been friends, had worn silver armor and led her own troops against the English. So again, Margaret has like role models to look up to in this situation. Um, so this is kind of like unknown because of how long ago it happened and who was writing the records. But did she actually lead troops or did she just tell people to go be troops? Because time and again reports would speak of Margaret's Lancastrian forces rather than of Henry's um, at the second battle of St. Albans one reporter seems to suggest that she was actually literally there fighting maybe she was maybe she wasn't but she was certainly in charge an anecdotal report of a speech once credited to Margaret is as heroic as the one that Elizabeth I did where she was like I'm a might have a body of a weak woman but i'm like stronger like a man or whatever she said so margaret apparently said um i've often broken the english battle line i've mowed down ranks far more stubborn than theirs are now you who once followed a peasant girl joan of arc now follow a queen i will either conquer or be conquered with you she might have said that in french i don't know so but as you know a strong independent woman and also a french women in the middle of a French English war, she became a scapegoat for many things. For instance, Richards, like he'd been spreading the rumors that Edward was illegitimate, um, that Henry wasn't the father, that she was basically like a whore, etc. There were rumors. You know, people wrote vulgar ballads about her and her power waned because of sexism. Um Anyway, so... At the Second Battle of St. Albans... Which I think I just mentioned... So she defeated the York forces... Led by Warwick... Rourke, and she recaptured Henry, her husband... Who had been in prison at this point for literally a year. Um, being imprisoned, guess what? Triggered another bout of mental health issues for this fragile man. He was allegedly laughing and singing as a battle raged around him. The king had... Prom- so there's two... Um, York guards who had been guarding him and he promised them immunity because I guess they became friends but Margaret was like no and she had them both executed it is alleged that she put these two men on trial with her eight-year-old son Prince Edward in charge of the trial and a real sort of like Circe Joffrey vibes moment um, and she allegedly asked fair son what death shall these knights die Prince Edward apparently replied their heads should be cut off despite The king is pleased for mercy because Henry had zero power except for being king. Um, At around this time, Richard died in battle, question mark, um, presumably, or of whatever dysentery. And the new head of Team York was his son, Edward, who was young and also hot. So at the Battle of Towton. Hot Edward defeated the Lancastrian forces, deposed Henry, and named himself King Edward the Fourth. So, I mean, it's quite a change. But he failed to capture Henry and Margaret, and so they fled to Scotland. During the first part of the reign of Hot Edward, Lancastrian resistors, so like supporters of Henry and Margaret, continued, mainly under Margaret's leadership, because Henry was just like not equipped for that. Um, So there's some nobles still loyal to them In the northern parts of England and Wales Even though Hot Edward was now the king Just for the record, Hot Edward is the one who married Elizabeth Woodville And in The White Queen, he is Really hot And in The Hollow Crown Really hot Um, So then what happened So during this time of resistance Margaret teamed up with The Scottish Okay, so the Scottish king was a baby a lot of baby kings um called james because scottish kings are always called james so there was baby king james of scotland's mother was called mary of gilders and she became friends with margaret so mary was still mourning her recently dead husband and was the regent for king baby james because scottish kings always named james so mary offered refuge for margaret and was very helpful helpful to her in this time you know women helping women Mary gave a number of Scottish troops to help Margaret slash Lancastrians. Um, Mary and Margaret also organized a betrothal between Margaret's son, Prince Edward, and Mary's daughter, Margaret. The names in this are just like an unending cycle of the same names. In return for her support, Mary asked for the town of Berwick on the Anglo-Scottish border, which is like, I'll help you, but can I like literally have a town Um, Margaret was like, no, that's not something I'm willing to give you. And so relations between the two gal pals deteriorated, um, exacerbated by the increasingly friendly alliance between hot King Edward and Duke Philip of Burgundy. I'm not sure what he's up to, but it all has to do with alliance things. So Edward, Hot Edward, tried to put a stop to Mary's support of Margaret by proposing marriage to the widowed queen, Hot Edwards, This is pre-Elizabeth Woodville era. So Hot Edward proposed marriage to Mary in Scotland. Mary was like, no. Oh, here we go. Mary's uncle, Duke Philip of Burgundy, was her uncle. Um, Pressure her to call off the engagement. Anyway. In 1462, Mary paid the Lancastrian royals to leave Scotland and made peace with hot Edward. She also hinted at the possibility of marriage between her and him, but that never happened. So Margaret was just like, well, what am I supposed to? Do? Peaced out of Scotland, apparently. She headed to her homeland, France, where she made an ally of her cousin, King Louis XI. Um... And then, in a shocking surprise twist, it seems like he kind of mediated this, but she allowed a meeting with Edwards, or Hot Edwards' former supporter, Warwick. Remember Warwick? He was the one who... Um, he was working with Richard, Duke of York, against Margaret back in the day. But here's what happened. Warwick had been um, also supporting Hot Edward, like he was fully on team Hot Edward, but then he switched sides because... He was like, hot Edward, I found you the perfect woman to marry. And Edward was like, ooh, sorry, I can't. Guess what? I secretly married Elizabeth Woodville, who is maybe a Luxembourgese water witch in a secret, sexy marriage. Warwick was so mad about that. Um, He wanted revenge against Edward for that. And the whole enemy of my enemy is my friend. And so in this wild and interesting plot twist that actually happened, um, so Warwick and Margaret teamed up. So to cement this new wild and unanticipated alliance, Warwick's daughter Anne Neville was married to Margaret's son Edward, the Prince of Wales. Margaret insisted that Warwick return to England to prove himself before she followed, just to be like, are you just like double crossing here? Like, you know, are you just pretending to be on my side? So he did. He went back to England. Um, and with his help, guess what happened? Team Lancastrians emerged victorious. Um, they put King Henry VI back on the throne and hot Edward was now sent running off into the wilderness. So this is just like the king's switcheroo. It's like, it's Henry and then he's in a coma and then it's Richard and then it's Henry again and then Edward takes over but then guess what? Henry takes back over again except he has nothing to do with it and like just wants to be a little monk guy wandering the desert. So then, Margaret, her son, Prince Edward, and her daughter-in-law, Anne Neville, were ready to follow warwick back to england but the tables had turned back in favor of team hot edward warwick was defeated and killed by hot edward in the battle of Barnet in 1471 so henry had only re-been king for six months um by the end of which he was like categorically insane Because I just feel so badly for him. This just, like, was not the life he wanted, but it's like, you're the son of the king, and here you go. Do this stuff. Like, poor him, honestly. So Margaret was forced to lead her own army. She's like, no problem. I've done this. My mother did this. My grandmother did this. At the Battle of Tewkesbury on May 4th, 1471. At which her forces were defeated, and her 17-year-old son, Prince Edward, was killed. The circumstances of his death have never been made clear. It is not known whether he was killed in the actual fighting or if he was executed after the battle because he was Henry's heir, etc. So she was captured. Hot Edward relegated her to the Tower of London, and this is where we get to our season theme, women in towers and the assholes who put them there. Was Hot Edward an asshole? I mean, probably, but not the biggest one in this story. So she sent to the Tower of London, which at that point was just like a castle, not a prison. Um, When she heard the outcome, like when she heard that the battle had lost and her side had lost, um, she attempted to flee capture with her daughter-in-law, Anne Neville, but they were apprehended three days later by Sir William Stanley, at which point she learned of her son's death, and she had to be bodily dragged from where she was hiding. Uh, Four days after that, she came face-to-face with hot Edward. She reportedly screamed abuses at him don't blame her well he responded mildly that she would be treated honorably in other words she had no reason to fear her execution in fact she was sort of like a prize of war or what do you call it she was in the king's retinue when he entered London victoriously to be like guess what I'm back king again Um, and she was sort of paraded around as a prisoner Um, and remember how the people of England did not like her they still didn't Um, So as she was forced marched through the city streets, people hurled obscenities at her while mud and debris was flung at her. And remember how when she first arrived, they were like, everyone's so excited. We have to make sure the roofs are strong enough to stand for all the crowds that'll be there. And now they're just throwing mud at her. Um, So she's taken to the tower where she was informed that guess what? Her husband had died now also he was almost 100% assassinated because they just had to stop being like, you're the king, now you're the king. like. So she begged to be given custody of his body, but it was instead displayed to the public so there could be no question. Henry had lost, York had won, and the war was over, Asterix. Not really. So in terms of like women in towers, so her stay in the tower was brief, roughly six weeks after that, She was quietly moved to Wallingford Castle and put in the custody of Alice Chaucer, the Dowager Duchess of Suffolk. So Alice was the widow of Margaret's one-time most trusted counselor, William de la Pole, Duke of Suffolk, who had been assassinated 21 years before. Um, Alice had also served as her chief lady-in-waiting. And in fact, like their history goes all the way back. She's one of the people who is... Chosen to escort Margaret as a teenage bride back in fourteen forty five. By this point, Margaret, just for the, just so you know, she's forty one years old. What a life she's lived. Honestly, that's basically my same age, and I've never led an army in battle. So, more about Alice. Why am I telling you so much about Alice? Because maybe later this season, this will become interesting and important, and pertinent. So, Alice's husband had died. Her son John de la Pole was married to Hot Edward's sister Elizabeth. Um, so she was just like a woman with a good instinct for survival. Like she knew kind of which team to be on when. So at this point, Alice, so Margaret was forty one. Alice was in her sixties, and she was now the prison guard of her former like boss, and she was paid five marks a week. I don't know if that was a lot or not so for the next four years these two women lived in wellingford castle without disturbance um and unfortunately without having left any clue as to what was going on between them probably a lot of stitching um i don't know music playing book reading alice died in 1475 and margaret's fortune turned dot 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 in theory so she had just been like a prisoner effectively um, with her sort of friend, Alice. But basically, while she was there, what had happened is that under the kingship of hot Edward, England had decided to launch an invasion of France, partially because they were still just really mad about Margaret, and she was French, so they were attacking where she was from. Um, but... Let's see, so England had little appetite for war even with France. Hot Edward didn't really want to go to war with them, so he instead negotiated a peace settlement Um, that included some various terms, and one of them is the return of Margaret to France in exchange for a ransom. So they're like, we'll give her back to you if you pay us money, and they were like, sure, I don't know why they wanted her back, but cool. Um margaret was of no value in england and she posed no threat to england abroad so her release meant little to hot edward by 1475 when she was released so to margaret it meant the chance to return home where her father good king Rene, still living um let's see oh she was of no value in england but she was still of some value in france oh i see so france wanted her that's why they were willing to pay money So, she landed in France in January 1476. By March, she was forced to sign away any inheritance or right she might have to Lorraine through her deceased mother, or Anjou, Bar, and Provence through her father. In return for signing this, she received a pension of 6,000 crowns from her cousin, who was the king, to live on, which provided her with just enough comfort until her death. Um, And it let the king, with a better chance to absorb those territories into, like, France. So let's see margaret had an older sister called yolanda both of them survived all of their brothers um and none of them had an heir so oh okay so her son like everyone's dead it's like who's gonna inherit lorraine the place that they were from so the duchy of lorraine and its title passed to yolanda margaret's older sister who passed it along to her oldest son, but Margaret's actions angered Yolanda and the two quarreled, souring what was never a close relationship. So Margaret turned to Good King René and wrote to him to request she be allowed to make her home at his court in Provence. Permission granted, she lived with him and her stepmother, Jean de Laval, for the next four years. Good King René passed away in July 1480, at which point marguerite was finally and completely without any family members alive whatsoever per her cousin's plans anjou was absorbed into france um, provence passed to a cousin and bar passed to her sister yolande who again passed off to her son marguerite uh, chose to return to anjou where she went to move into a place called the chateau de Souzay, um owned by a man who had faithfully served her father His name was Francis de la Vignois, and there are passing rumors of a romance between the two, but I mean, there's not any, like, factual reasons to think that, and while it's nice to wish that Margaret had some, like, romantic love in her, like, later years, um, we don't know that for sure, but you know what? I think so. I think she, she got her groove back. So let me see. So, so she's living in Suze and then her health began to fail shortly after her 52nd birthday in 1482. You know what? She's like the stress of her life. Of course. She wrote her will that August, although she had little to give away. since she had like inherited nothing and she passed away on August 25th, 1482. She was interred in Angers Cathedral alongside her parents and then like literally everybody French who died ever um, her remains were removed and scattered by revolutionaries during the French Revolution there's a lot of um, looting of tombs and throwing around of bones in the French Revolution so Margaret is a major character in William Shakespeare's history plays Um, She's she appears in Henry the sixth part one and two and three as well as in Richard the third She's the only character to appear alive in all four plays But due to the length of the plays many of her lines are usually cut which sucks because honestly if you watch the hollow crown She is the best character. She's played by um, Sophie Okanito Amazing every moment. She's on screen. I'm just like more please so Shakespeare portrays margaret as an intelligent ruthless woman who easily dominates her husband which is like correct that is what she seems to have been like um in henry vi part two shakespeare shows her having an affair with somerset and mourning his death by carrying around his severed head and you know what that is the first of twice this season of vulgar history i'm going to tell you about a woman who al- allegedly carried around the severed head of her dead lover Fun fact let's see in henry the sixth part three she personally stabs richard duke of york in the battlefield good for her and then becomes suicidal when edward is killed in front of her and she and then i I forget if it's in i don't know because the holocron like combines everything but she shows up i think richard the third and she's basically just this like witch who's just like everything is terrible you're all gonna die um and everyone's like crazy we don't listen to you and then it turns out she's right about everything a very cassandra moment for an actress what a role honestly you get to play all the things um yeah so shakespeare has her return to royal court in richard the third oh yeah in her first appearance in that play she dramatically curses everybody for their roles in the downfall of the house of lancaster and all of her curses come to pass um as the noblemen she curses are betrayed and executed And each character reflects on her curse before his execution, being like, oh, she was right. Um, Her prominence in Shakespeare. So, what I said before, like a lot of people cut her parts out of the plays, which is a bad idea, because then you're just left with a lot of men in the play, which makes it much more boring. But, in more recent years, um, some people have reinterpreted the play to make her be in it more. So, an adaptation called Margaret of Anjou by Elizabeth Schaefer and Philippa Kelly was performed in 2016 in London by By Jove Theatre Company. So in 2018, the Royal Exchange Theatre in Manchester premiered Queen Margaret using all the lines spoken by Margaret over the four plays with additional material by playwright Jeannie O'Hare. And the thing is, she's known as the she-wolf of France. And that's like an insult because, well, the whole like they didn't, english people didn't like france and they're like who's this woman who's like leading armies and whatever but honestly nothing i've read made me makes me think like she's a villain at all but she's like very much like a major woman villain of british history um apparently not to me i quite enjoy learning about her so we're going to give her her score how exciting is this we haven't scored anyone in such a long time now I thought about changing some of the categories, but I'm like, no, I have to keep a consistent categories so we can keep comparing where everybody falls and just get this master list of people in order of scandaliciousness. The first qualifier is scandaliciousness, which is just like how um much of a gossipy good time was her story. And frankly, like there was the rumors of oh, did she have an affair and was her son illegitimate and whatever, but like that was made up like it was not based on anything. She wasn't, like, running around tits out or whatever. And I, I'm i going to give her a three for Scandaliciousness because it were the rumors. But she herself didn't really do anything in a Scandaliciousness sort of way. Scheminess was great. So if we look at um, the scheminess of her, like, first to just, like, Loki subtly, like, take control over her husband, the Koma King. And now she kept, like, kicking Richard out. She tried to assassinate him twice. I just remembered that. Um, then she was, like, leading armies. She was just, then like, making the alliance with Mary in Scotland. Like, I'm going to give her an 8.5 for scheminess. Because, no, I'm going to give her a 9 for scheminess. Because she was just, like, unrelentingly, like, she got it done. Scheminess-wise. Her significance is, like, she was not the mother of a king. Which inevitably gives people some significance points she was significant because she's a majorly significant figure in the cousins war era like she was leading battles like she was without her i don't know this all have gone on really differently so that does give her quite a bit of significance i'm gonna give her a six for significance the sexism bonus is how much did the patriarchy bring her down and frankly i don't know it's tricky like you know she was sold off in marriage at age 14 but that's kind of like happened to everybody um and her husband wasn't terrible but that doesn't mean it doesn't suck to be sold off in marriage at age 14 then people like the whole she will for france the whole like oh is she a french whore like people treated her badly because she was french so this is like a sexism slash xenophobia bonus um then the fact she's leading armies made people be like is she a witch whatever like there's there's bullshit there i'm gonna give her an eight for sexism bonus so where does that put her 17 26 so this puts her that's the same score as lady anne stanley anne askew ethel fled lady of the Mercians, and francis howard tits out so We're starting off strong this season of vulgar history. Now, a thing that I wanted to bring up in this podcast is that in this hiatus between episodes, I've been reading and learning lots about the world and history and what history gets written and who is writing it and stuff like that. And my research, I don't know, expertise or interest is very much in women in British history medieval slash Renaissance period that's just kind of where I'm coming from that's what I just that's what I know the most about and I was like oh should I like try and make the show be about like more uh, different countries and different um, nationalities of people and stuff and I'm like I don't there's so many people who are doing that work I don't need to like come in here and like do it badly So what I wanted to do is to take this opportunity to highlight, uh, some, some people who are doing this work and I think it's so worth knowing about. So there is an author named Alok Vaid Menon, who is on Instagram. They describe themselves as author, performer, speaker, fashionista, who is, has a master, master's degree in sociology and also in gender studies and so if you go to Alok's Instagram page there's a link there for book reports but also if you just follow them on Instagram you're gonna get all the new ones that come out so basically it's incredible I love I love these book reports they do so it's kind of like based on these deep dives that they're doing like Alok is doing the work and I just want to share the fact that this is where you can find it so for instance um, stuff like how men define nature to oppress women, the invention of the sex binary. Um, it used to be illegal for women to wear pants. A history of cross-dressing laws, women with mustaches, gender and imperialism. So what they are is sort of like a slideshow on Instagram of a book that Alok has read, and kind of relates the main facts in that. And I've learned so much about the history of just of queer people of intersex people of non-binary people and how that's not like a new thing that's just happening and there was really um alok i first discovered them as a guest on laverne cox's podcast the laverne cox show which is so good also but there was a thing i'm going to paraphrase but alok basically said like not seeing people who are like and so who who remind them of them in the world today as much than so they find comfort in reading history and finding people like them. And just as a reminder, they're like this, like there's always been people, there's always been all kinds of people in history and they've been celebrated in different cultures. It's not always been like what it's like now with all the awful anti-trans legislation and stuff going on. And I just really connected with that. um, In the sense of finding people Finding comfort in reading about things and people in history, and just kind of feeling as part of this like long human race that's always had all kinds of different people in it. And we're not like we're living in this bizarre moment now of pandemic era. And people have lived through stuff like this before. And I find comfort knowing that like the human race just keeps going. And so, anyway, I'll put a link to Elok's Instagram in the show notes. And I super encourage following them just to get to learn more about this history that is not, not as readily available. Um, but again, like Aloka is doing the work to bring these stories to light. And I think that's so great. And I think that's so important. And I think it's a good, good to be well-rounded in your knowledge of, especially if you're into history, just like one of the other things I've been thinking about in this hiatus time is who wrote the history that I've read and what you know we've talked about this on the podcast like who was like you know people writing about Cleopatra who just like thought she was awful the like, same way as people writing about Margaret of Anjou like history is written by the victors and so it's like there's so many people who are forgotten and even the people on this podcast who are often lesser talked about women from British royal history like at least there's something written about them there's so many people who, It takes such a deep dive to find anything about them. And sometimes there's just nothing, you know, like even in this story, like we don't know what Margaret and Alice were doing for those like several years together in the castle because there's no written record of it. Like even the women we look at who are like, this is the princess of whatever. It's like she's probably born in this year. We don't know. Like there's so many people whose stories we don't know. And I think it's important to try and if we can't learn specifically about them, then to learn what the world was like and imagine what it was like for people who were not royals and not nobles um yeah so that's my that's my recommendation for today and there's going to be more episodes coming because season four is here it's happening it's real we're live we're loving it and we're going to learn about some more women trapped in towers assholes who put them there oh I i have my notes what are the things i need to tell you so all the links for everything are all over the place you know um you can follow me on the socials at vulgar history on twitter vulgar history pod on instagram um and then i have a patreon and if you don't know what a patreon is it's a website where you basically pledge a certain amount of money per month and then by doing that you get some extra content from me so if you pledge a certain amount i think it's five dollars a month i'm doing extra patreon podcasts every month so i've been doing them every month since at least october and that's just some if you're just like i need somewhere Anne in my ear holes that's where you can get it so when you pledge the patreon then you get to listen to all the ones i've done before it's called so this asshole it's where i do i talk about men who are terrible um and then you also when you're on the patreon you can vote to help me choose who i'm going to talk about next stuff like that but it's not just like pay money and get podcasts like pay money and that helps me because i don't have advertisers and there are fees and costs involved in being a podcaster and um i really appreciate that and then of course the the easiest most cost-effective way to support this podcast is to subscribe rate and review like everybody says um i would love to get some more reviews just to drown out the voice of the person who said i talk too fast so if you want to say like vulgar history is a great podcast and Anne's voice is such a good speed feel free um to let let your little podcast app know that anyway yeah i'm really excited to be back and this is going to be a fun ride slash depressing ride and i'm glad we're all here together again so i mean hopefully you're vaccinated hopefully you're en route to be vaccinated Um, And whether you are or not, even if you are, like, remember, masks on, tits out.